0: 35 years ago, very dramatic story, and I'll spare you all the details. Many of you have heard many of the nuances of that story many times, but God led me directly out of the world and led me to a specific place, a specific church, and a specific man. That's very biblical. Acts chapter 9, there was an Ananias that was to minister to Saul. Acts chapter 10, it was Cornelius and Peter. And so for the six short years that I was at the Rock Church, the imprint of a man of God and a woman of God and a church that was absolute alignment with the Holy Ghost has programmed me. And so Cornerstone is but an expression of that imprint. I will never get away from it. I will never escape this. I won't even try. I'm still pursuing the spirit of excellence, the depth of revelation the gold of character and integrity and the spiritual authority that was placed on me through this man's ministry. Bishop Wilson is more than a bishop. He's more than the editor of the premier Bible study, Bible period. He's more than a college president and chancellor. greatest Christian I've ever known brother Wilson love you let's put our hands together under the Lord for the man of God
1: come on let's praise Jesus right now he is so good he is so worthy His presence is here. Amen, and we love him. God bless you. Let me let you be seated for a moment and just take a moment to say it's probably just the right temperature out there, but I'd take one of those blankets right here. Uh, No, it's fine. It's fine. And... uh, So um, when Sister Wilson found out that I'd had those blankets made, she was shocked. (laughs) Oh, wait, I got that backwards. I messed up. When I found out she had had those blankets made, I was excited. Amen. That's the way that was. Like, uh, you get older, things get mixed up. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Amen. So uh, that's bits and pizzas, and ties and suits and shirts, and that's it. <laughs> so that's it. Amen. <laughs> Oh, man, haven't we had a time this weekend? Praise God. And, uh, and, uh, Brother Sargent preached to us yesterday in such great fashion. And, uh, and the singing and the worship and the praise and all of your exuberance for Jesus is just such a refreshing thing. And it's good to be at Cornerstone which is just uh, a very special place, of course, in your heart and also in our hearts. And to be with our friends that have um, <clears throat> already been mentioned is a high honor. And uh, those that have passed through Sacramento, Elk Grove, and those that pastor through in other places, and those that live in, in Spokane and uh, minister here, It's just good to be with all of you. God bless you. And all the people that was here yesterday, uh, it was good to be with them. They they missed it by going home. We're having more fun than they are. They should have stayed and had fun with us. Amen. And so we thank God for all of his goodness. So uh, I, I guess... We ought to stand again for the reading of the word. Let me read the word to you, and then I'll let you be seated. First um, Peter chapter one verses three and four. We'll read this uh, two verses. First Peter chapter one verse three and four says, "Blessed." Everybody said, "Blessed." Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Everybody said, in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Praise God. Amen. Especially good to be here with Brother and Sister Elder and Brother and Sister Bertram from um, Pueblo and Bessemer, uh, respectively. Uh, Pueblo, Alabama, and Bessemer, Colorado. Uh, I just seen if y'all's awake. Everybody's half asleep, said, Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, uh, you know, it's okay, though. I mean, it's we're not used to being here at 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. So so uh, it's okay. Everything's okay today. Just chill. It's good. It's a good day. Praise God. We're all good. And uh, we all love each other, and we're all glad to be in God's house. Praise God. Amen. And uh, good to uh, see our good uh Little short, skinny brother. Can't remember his name from Missoula. Uh, love y'all. God bless you. Hey, man. Hallelujah. He and I go back, and we didn't even know it. Uh, uh, long story. He can tell you about it. But anyway, it's good to be with, with everybody that's here. Now. Um, I want to preach to you for a little while today, but Brother Sargent, he preached, and Sister Wilson, she preached, and Brother Mayo almost preached, and uh, however, it's only 2.10, and so we've got plenty of time, Uh, five of us do, and uh, rest you in a hurry. Praise God, uh, we're just we're just happy to be here, and I I want I want to preach to you. Um, uh, you know, some stuff you preach at some churches, and it just kind of goes over like a crocheted bathtub. I mean, they just don't get it, and so. You go back and you remember uh, the primer in the first grade and you you get the milk bottle and you give them milk because they got to grow one way or another. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that unless they're, you know, like 40 years old and still got the bottle and then it's it's a problem. And there are churches where a pastor's been there 20 years, but he hasn't pastored 20 years. He's pastored one year 20 times because he never grows, and so they never grow, and they're just used to thin soup and gruel every other Sunday on a switch. And, and so I'll tell you what, if, you, if you've ever been to one of those places, you'll be one of us that's saying, thank God for Cornerstone, where I get some good nutrition. That's right. Yeah, man. That's right. So, um, so I wanna I wanna preach to you a little bit on the on a on a strange subject. The day the reporters forgot. The day the reporters forgot. Now I'm gonna confess to you ahead of time that I haven't mined everything out of this that I think is there. And I, I'll also confess that I have been thinking about this and um, probing this thought for several years and took a couple stabs at preaching it to people and decided either they or I wasn't ready. I wasn't sure which it was. And, um, and so just kind of backed off and thought about it a little more uh, and kind of waited till I can get in a place where there was friends where I could just kind of preach it and we could kind of probe through it together and try to get a grip on it a little better. And I thought, I know where to do that. Cornerstone is the place to do that. <laughs> Praise God. Yeah. Amen. So, um, uh, so so, we, we, we want to preach it to you today. And, and uh, you're going to have to preach with me. How's that? Yeah. Amen. And I want to preach to you about the day the reporters forgot. And the day the reporters forgot was a Saturday. Um, and when you look at the day before that, on Friday, there is an extremely detailed scriptural record of all the stuff that transpired on Friday, And there's an even more detailed scriptural record of what transpired on Resurrection Sunday. But between that, there is absolutely no record, and I found this striking, and I kept looking and found out it's true, that there is no record of anything happening on Saturday between Good Friday when Jesus hung on the cross and Sunday when Jesus resurrected, both of which are filled with all kinds of news reports and all the reporters are out there and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John have got their microphones and their cameras and everything going and they're getting the full picture of of everything and then Luke interviews a bunch of other people to get the picture. They're all going. But on Saturday... Nobody is there, and there is no mention whatsoever of what transpired on Saturday, and there's no report of it, and nowhere in history is there any history of it. There's no news. There is none. Now, Sunday is a symbol of new hope, but, but Saturday is simply dead. Right. It is a dead world on Saturday. Friday, they had to live with no peace, and I'll try to talk about that a little bit. But on Saturday, they had to exist with no hope, which is worse. And so um, Saturday um, is, is a vacuum. Friday was filled with pain and with unfairness to Christ and with injustice and with loss and with abuse and with inequity. And there's people here right now that's been through all of this and loneliness, and some of them that are in that right now. But in Saturday, you don't have that. You have emptiness. You have futility. You have hopelessness. You have nothing to celebrate. You have a loss of meaning and community. You are without purpose. And all of that, the silence on Saturday's record is deafening. If you would have bought the Saturday paper, it would have been page after page of empty sheets. But if you went back to Friday, you could identify what was happening on Friday, the day that Jesus hung on the cross. Uh, that was a Friday. And the one word that, that uh, typifies Friday is pain. It was a day of pain. And all the pain in the history of the universe is trajectoried directly to the body and spirit and soul of Jesus Christ to the point that Psalm 22 and 1, which is the psalm of the things that Jesus thought and did, the Bible actually has in it the things that Jesus was thinking while he was on the cross in Psalm 22 and several other places in Scripture. But on Psalm 22, it has what he was thinking as well as what he was saying uh, verbally or orally that people could hear. And that's how Psalm 22 and 1 starts out. This is Friday. It's filled with pain. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the introduction to what Jesus, the man who took our sins, was feeling while he was hanging on the cross. And I don't have time to preach all of that, but in verse 2, he says, God, you're not hearing me. God, you're not listening to me. He is a human. He is our. He is our example. He is experiencing everything that you have been experiencing for the last few years, and some of you for the last few days, and some of you even today, uh, while you are here in this service. Uh, God, you are not listening. Uh, and then he tries to. He tries to. He tries to work it with God a little bit, and he says. Uh, he says, God, but I know. In verses three and four, he said, I know that you listen to our fathers. Uh, and I know that you heard them, but the implication is, God, I'm conceding, I'm confessing that you listened to our fathers, but here I am, and now, God, you are not listening to me. Why hast thou forsaken me? Has anybody ever felt forsaken? Has anybody ever felt abandoned? All of this is part and, and parcel of what is going on. And while time doesn't permit to go through the whole Uh, Psalm 22, if you go on down to about verse 13, it talks about the bulls of Bashan have surrounded me. And I'm not going to get into all this today, but theologians will take that back to Bashan was a place where there were indeed large bulls. But it was also a place that was filled with giants. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 2 and 3, you find a record there of giants. And one of those giants you find is Og, the king of Bashan. And um, there's some that believe that those giants uh, represent, in more ways than one, uh, demonic spirits from the underworld uh, that actually possessed these people. And that this is what Israel stood against uh, uh, the spiritual strongholds when they entered the land to take it. Uh, and uh, they did take the land. But now Jesus is trying not only to take a land, but Jesus is trying to take back the universe. Uh, and in taking back the universe, he is facing the strongest darkness and spiritual opposition there is. Uh, wherever the place is that is the central headquarters of hell, wherever the place is uh, that, that God and, and, and the devil and, and angels uh, and demons uh, and wild beasts, all five of which were represented in the temptation after the baptism of Jesus, uh, Wherever that place is that all that represents, uh, the darkest headquarters uh, of that which is evil and of their power and of their dominion that Satan said, I've got control of that. God gave it to me. If you'll bow at my feet, I'll give you all of that. It is that place, wherever that is, that he took Jesus to a high mountain in just a moment, showed him the kingdoms of the world. We're talking here We're talking here. a, a, a level of of. of of, of spirituality uh, that's beyond what you and I experience every day. And Jesus goes there in the span. These, 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 Og, king of Bashan, the Bible says it's, it's ironic that they said the bulls of Bashan because Og, the king of Bashan, when Israel under Moses was taken the land, Og was the biggest of them all. Og's bed was actually taken to a city where it was put in a museum. The Bible tells us this and it's in a museum and it tells you how long his bed was and how wide his bed was. He was a massive man and the bed could have been as long as 13 to 18 feet long and, 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 and so wide and so, uh, and so it represents the, the powers that stand on a level that none of us are used to. All of this is what is happening on Friday uh, on the pain that he uh, was going through. You all know Isaiah 53, uh, where the Bible says the iniquity of us all was laid upon him, uh, Amen. And uh, and and where all of this came to him in such a way that nobody else has ever experienced. Uh, everything that is, everything, everything that is painful that you have experienced and that I have experienced, all of the pain that goes all the way back to Adam. Jesus saw all of this while he was on the cross, uh, all, of the, all of the graveyards that go all the way back to Adam uh, and the tens of thousands of people. In fact, he goes beyond the graveyards and he goes to the, to the actual garden and he sees the garden with the, 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 the angel that has the sword that holds everybody out uh, and Jesus is the one that comes there and says, I'm going to go into that garden. And the, and the angel says, Nobody goes into this garden. And he says, But I'm going to go into that garden. And every bit of pain that there ever was is compressed into him on Friday. Friday is unspeakable pain. Friday is a, is a day in which the entire universe is, is brought down into a single man where the world and its condition is defined in a single man on a single day, on a single cross. And the pain and the, all of the evil and all of the predatory ways of man on one another and all of the injustice and all of the iniquity is laid upon him. Friday is about being robbed and beaten and left half dead. Friday is about being on the road of life and not knowing what to do about it. Friday has got record after record of what it meant on Friday that everybody has recorded and that you and I hear preached about all the time. But Friday is different than Saturday because Saturday is a day the reporters forgot. And there is no record, none of Saturday. When you look in your Bible, there is nothing that is said about Saturday. Saturday is hopelessness. The one word that characterizes Saturday is hopelessness. Brother Wilson, why would you say that? I would say that because everything is dead. How do you know everything's dead? Because if Jesus is dead, everything in the human race is dead. And if Jesus is dead, Hope is dead. And if Jesus is dead, there'll never be any hope as long as Jesus stays dead. Or as long as he stays dead to you, there will never be any hope because there is no hope in the world except Jesus. He is the only hope that there is. Without him, everything is dead. And when he is dead, death reigns. And so I think today of Saturday as being a time of tremendous hopelessness, people wanting to have a good time, but they can't. The wine has run out. The marriage supper, when we're all supposed to be celebrating, mama comes and says, they have no wine. Typical of the human race. On Saturday, everybody's trying to celebrate. Celebrate but there's nothing to celebrate because he is dead. And so the reason that they don't write anything is because there's nothing to write because there is no history unless his story is the center of it. And without his story, history has no meaning to any of us. And so I think of Saturday. It's the time when uh, single mothers in the world and we have many single mothers in our church working and parenting and frantically trying to make ends meet and and oftentimes they have but a few friends, and they don't often fit with former friends uh, because they uh, some way become a threat to married friends, and so they are fearfully scanning the landscape, wondering if possibly. Perhaps there is a man to help her, and so if she's in the world, she goes to the bars and she hangs out there. She doesn't know where else to go. She doesn't know what else to do, and many of you have been there somewhere in your life in the past. She's exhausted from working and exhausting from hunting for someone to care, and she knows it's going to be another night at home, and she's going to go home alone, And when she gets there, it's going to be the same old routine, and tomorrow it's going to start all over because it is hopeless, and there's nothing to celebrate, and there's no future, and this is true of the whole human race, and it's all without purpose. It's a rude world. It's a crude, incivil, tawdry world where every dream is like a leaf in the wind, and where every hope is an unfilled fantasy and every promise is an illusion until after a while people feel like there's no hope and more and more young people in our day that have more material goods than they've ever had end up simply taking their lives. Because Saturday is a daily life of the human race without God. Because God, if you please, is dead. And so it's a grinding life. Often it's barely tolerable. It's a a time that you and I have escaped, but the rest of the world has not escaped. And some of you that are guests and visitors here have not escaped. And you're here because you know in your soul that there's emptiness and that there's a vacuum there and that nothing's there to fill it. But I'm preaching to you today I'm taking a little few seconds here just to address you personally and tell you that you being in this church today is the exact right thing because we have found hope. We're not playing a game here. We have found hope. We know what it is. We know it's real. We used to be where you are. We know where we are. We know the transformation that God has brought in our lives. How many of you know what I'm talking about today? Amen. Amen. A Saturday world. Let me preach a little bit about a Saturday world. In 1812, Andrew Jackson Anderson was born in Ashland, Louisiana. He was my great-great-grandfather. He got married to a local girl named Sarah Mathis, and he and his brother went off to war and fought for the South in the Civil War. While they were fighting some way, he lost track of his brother. After the war, the family could never locate his brother. They didn't know where he was for years. And for years and years they were apart. And later one day they discovered that he lived about two miles from them. That's a Saturday world. That's a world And when you go to the store, you only go in one direction and you never go the other because you have no reason to. In Roatan, where we went and where the training center is, uh, there was a little village there that I went to that it's five miles to town. Five miles. There are many people in that village that have not left for 10 years. They have never been to town in 10 years. It's a Saturday world. There's no purpose. There's nothing. There's barely enough food to eat and a little fishing to keep them alive. When I was a boy, I was raised in a poor country town and it was a high aspiration in my age group to land a job with Melville E. Wilson Fertilized Company, when you could drive one of their trucks for a dollar twenty five an hour, it was a Saturday world, and people were barely grubbing it out when I was seventeen years old. I bought a ten year old truck and I hauled hay in one hundred and five degree hundred and seven degree weather all summer long. They were long and hot summer days they uh, you could hear the droning of the airplane and the cawing of the crows and and uh, it was uh, Uh, Just a few hundred people in our little town, and and, uh, we didn't know anybody of any consequence. We didn't know what was going on in the greater world. We never had been more than 300 miles from home growing up and never eaten in a restaurant except once when we were four years old. Uh, Our parents worked hard. My mom worked in a bakery grinding it out. We lived uh, for some time in an old house in the country behind the cemetery about Three hundred feet behind the cemetery, old house sitting out there by itself. For weeks, my father was working. He was a game warden. He was over at Hearst Castle, and that's where he worked for quite some time. And so, my mother and my brother and I, uh, just boys, were living out there by ourselves. It was uh, uh, it was a ratty little old house, and uh, uh, my Brother ran the tractor into the back of the house and smashed in the back wall, and then we lived in the ratty house with a smashed-in back wall, um, and uh, it was even, even, it was even worse. Uh, it was a, it was a Saturday world. It was a world that had, it was hopeless. It, you, you ain't gonna get nowhere in this town, boy. There is no hope out of this place. Uh, you are stuck here. It's like I heard Brother Pew say one time, who was one of my. Mentors, who is now dead and gone, but I heard him say one time uh, when he was 12 years old, his sister was 16, and they both lived in a house. Their parents were both dead, and uh, he was 12, she was 16. There was an old house that was empty, and they lived in that house, but they both had the Holy Ghost, and they went to church, and they walked about four miles to church every time there was service. When there was revival, it was every night and they walked every day. And then after church at night, they would walk that uh, couple-hour walk home. And uh, he, he he told me, he said, one night uh, my sister and I were walking home, and he said it was raining, and it was a slashing rain. And he said it was so cold. And, and he said I was trying to, we hunkered up together, and we stumbled down that muddy road. And, and he said I, I can remember to this day that I, that I screamed out to the heavens and said, I will not live my life this way. I will not stay under the domination of this kind of living. There will be a day I will break out of this and I won't live this way anymore. And I want to tell you, every person that comes to God has to have that kind of something come over them that says, I refuse to live this way anymore. I don't, if if I die trying, I am moving out of this neighborhood. I am going to have something better. Oh, come on, let's clap our hands and praise Him. Amen. Amen. But that's the Saturday world. That we lived in. We lived caddy corner across street from the richest man in town. A little later and our house was not in the rich area, but his was at the edge and it was, he was uh, one of the most prominent men in town. My mom walked to work at the first, the bakery and then she got a better job at the five and 10 cent store. And I was a latchkey kid. So when I came home, I just did whatever I wanted to. And, um, um, uh, when she walked to work a few blocks to work, five, six blocks, whatever uh, she would walk down the back alley and home and this rich man whose name is still one of the most prominent names in that little town not quite as little anymore uh, but um, uh, my mother was always a careful dresser my mother always watched uh, her weight and was careful about those kind of things and and um, uh, was attractive, and as she walked to work, um, evidently he got to spying on her. And uh, one day, I was just a boy. I, I didn't get all this. I didn't understand all this. And uh, one day, um, he showed up at our door. And my father uh, had been raised in a Saturday world, and uh, I had the Holy Ghost, but I was still a kid. And it was it was a mixed time, and. Um, in a Saturday world, there's always forces that hold you down and try to convince you that you uh, have no hope, you have no future, and that there is a caste system, that your world is not like their world. And, and um, uh, to my daddy, these were big shots, and in his world, he uh, felt their power to hurt and uh, I remember one of them fired me one time uh, in the grocery store just a year or so after this. And uh, I was in the grocery store, and I accidentally run a, a grocery cart into the milk uh, deal and broke the glass window. And, uh, and the boss came back there and went ballistic. I mean, I know he had insurance. And, uh, and, uh, and said, you know, my six-year-old son could have done better than that and just went off. Well, I had the Holy Ghost, so I took it. This is a Saturday world. And so um, uh, next time he saw me in the back, he said, my six-year-old grandson could have done better than that. And I I just took it. What's the difference? I don't care what he's saying. And, um, and so he said it two or three times, and the next morning I came into work in the back room, and there was a whole bunch of salesmen, bread trucks and soda water trucks, and they were all in the back room, and he was back there, and the assistant manager was back there. And when I walked in, he said, I just want to tell you something. My six-year-old grandson could have done better than that. And, you know, uh, I didn't have the same restrictions my dad had. I had the Holy Ghost, and I'd been living in a Sunday world. A Sunday world is not dominated by a Saturday world. And I, I was just a kid, but I just couldn't take that. And so I looked at him, and I said, Mr. Barker, let me explain something to you. I was 15 years old. I said, you told me all that yesterday, and I took it, and I understand, and I'm sorry, but you've said it enough. Don't ever say it again. Well, it wasn't too good. It got real quiet, and all the bread salesmen and the soda pop salesmen and truck drivers quit chattering because they knew something's about to hit the fan, looks like, and, uh, He said, hey, don't get smart with me, boy. I said, I'm not getting smart with you. I'm just telling you, I'm not taking that. And uh, I said, you've said it enough. That's enough. That's that's all you ought to be saying it. So 15 years old, I was his judge. So, you know, I mean, I felt like I'm the 15-year-old, and you tell me that three or four times, I take it. I tell you I'm sorry. I'll do what I can to, to do whatever you want done. But there's a limit to that. And finally said, I'm telling you, boy, I told you, don't get smart with me. I said, I'm not getting smart with you, but I already made up my mind. I'm not going to live with the fears my daddy had. That's not going to happen. I am not living that way. I'm a Sunday kid. I know about the resurrection. I know that I'm, I may not be very smart, but I know I'm worth something. Because I know what he did for me, and he gave me the Holy Ghost, and I've got new life. And the one thing's not going to happen is I'm not going to be pushed around when it's not the right thing to be pushed around. Good. Good. And so I proved a point to him, boy. I got fired. <laughs> and I walked out. I went home and told my daddy, my daddy said, you know, he had the mentality of a man had been subjected to a Saturday world. He said, son, he turned pale. He never walked in that grocery store again. He said, son, that's going to follow you forever. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's still following me. I don't even know what it meant. I don't, I don't get all that. All I know is, is that that's the way it is in a Saturday world. And in a Saturday world, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. That's the Saturday world that I was raised in. My father-in-law, my wife's father, lived under a bridge before he got saved, and he was a fruit tramp. He followed he followed the harvest, and that's how he and his family stayed alive. And they camped in a tent wherever they had to camp in a tent, and uh, got up and worked hard. They were hard workers. Finally, uh, he figured out uh, digging ditches better than this, and he started digging ditches, and he ended up. Uh, 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 a fairly uh, well-off businessman eventually, but uh, that's the world he came out of. It's a Saturday world. It's a world where there is no hope. He didn't know anything about a resurrected Christ because there was no resurrected Christ for him. He didn't know about it. He hadn't heard about it. It was a dead world where it is characterized only by hopelessness. Uh, Your pastor, when he came into the church and all the stuff that was attendant to the struggles uh, in those early days. Uh, uh, he came out of a Saturday world that makes a lot of promises, but can't keep any of those promises uh, because there's nothing there. It's just a hopelessness. And I'll try to explain that a little bit more just a minute, but it's that kind of world. And I thought about, uh, I thought about brother hood's, um, testimony yesterday and about, uh, his father when he was five years old, uh, and um, and so Brother Hood at that point was a victim of a Saturday world. Uh, but then, and I'm sure he's probably processed this lots of times, uh, but before that, his daddy was a victim of a Saturday world uh, where there is no hope uh, and there's not even one there to take the pain. That day's already passed. Uh, And you're just out there by yourself. I'm preaching to somebody here today that's living in that condition. Uh, And there seems like there is no direction and no hope. Uh, It's that kind of world. And then I wonder about your grandpa and your great-grandpa and your great-grandpa brotherhood. And how many, back, how many people back down the line for how many generations went back and they were just caught in that Saturday world where there was no hope and there was no direction and there was no supernatural deliverance and, and, and there was not anything that was going to work to make this work. I've watched perceptive wives of men in our church. I've watched them observe their man as he turns this way and that, trying to escape from the Saturday hopelessness. And, and uh, I, I see that his restless spirit seeks an approved escape route to success and he can't find none. And his wife sees that and she hurts for him. And, and uh, she lives in a tension that watches him struggle to stay within Saturday's restrictions because there's people going to tell you you can only go this far and not anymore. You can't, you can't get out of the Saturday world. There's no hope for you to get out of the Saturday world. Your daddy might tell you because he was in the Saturday world. Son, you're going to kill yourself if you're not careful. Daughter, you can't do that because. Uh, but they're all caught in the Saturday world and it's filled with restrictions and categorizations and caste systems that hold you down and, and says that you can't get out of there. And you can't get out of there unless some way you can get out of Saturday. Amen. So, amen. Talking about wives. I've often thought my wife and I will never talk about it, but my wife, as I or in earlier life, have been beaten half to death by rulers of Saturday's worlds, like Egypt's taskmasters, people becoming terrified of Saturday's whip where the familiar and the customary and the traditional is oppression and bondage, and it's accepted, where, um, where people uh, flee from facing themselves squarely and saying, this is the world I'm in, and I admit it, where young people going to school are frustrated by the oppressive world of Saturday, where young people... Ask questions and no one answers, and so they say, See, there is no God. Where scientists ask questions, uh, and you are those questions are posed to you in high school and college, uh, and you have no answer, and you say, Why doesn't God answer these questions? Where evolutionists ask questions uh, that are difficult to answer, and God does not answer them where He just stays in silence. Where sociologists ask questions, for example, if God is good, how come there's so much pain in the world? And you wait and say, God, can't you come and answer that so that I can win people to you? But God doesn't answer that because those are saturday ease questions. They are questions spoken in Saturday's spirit. They are questions spoken in Saturday's doubt. They are trying to draw God out of Sunday into Saturday and get him to speak Saturday's language to prove their point. But God says, I don't speak that language. You'll stay in Saturday and die and rot. Waiting for those answers. Uh, If you're insistent on getting your answer by staying in Saturday, at some point you have to get out of Saturday. And and that takes faith. uh, And that takes obedience. uh, And that takes humility. And if you're not willing to do that, you're going to stay in Saturday and die and go to hell and never have anything because you want to get God to come into Saturday to answer your question. And God says, no. I don't speak And So the world talks in Saturday's tongue. But you got to speak in Sunday's other tongue. This is why what we're in, in Pentecost, is not a denomination of choice. It's not something in because our mom and dad was in it. It's not something that we're in because of some other peripheral or secondary reason. It's because it is the only thing that is of Sunday. And when I say Sunday, I'm going to explain that in just a minute. But first you have to understand that you've got to speak in Sunday's tongue to get God to answer. He will not answer as long as you ask questions in Saturday's tongue which is the tongue of doubt and the tongue of prove it to me, then God's not going to answer. You can sit there and wait for the answers and prove it to me forever. And God will let you rot in your condescension and rot in your defiance. God's not going to answer. That's not the kind of language God speaks. That's not what you're going to find on Sunday. That's what comes on Saturday. And so the Saturday world is waiting for God to step in with their condescending look. We're waiting for you God. Come down off of the cross if you be the Christ. That's Saturday language. He could have come off the cross. He could have proved who he was. But he don't go into Saturday. you got to go into Sunday. Man, I'm going to tell you, this is no small thing. This is unnerving to the secularistic and denominal minds. It, it rattles their cage because it's outside of the box of Saturday, a world of doubt and a world of, uh, of practicality and a world of utilitarianism. It's outside of that box, and it's into the box of the supernatural. But they don't, I mean, you can get Baptists you can preach a good sermon, you can get you can get people they've got a no risk religion they don't have to worry about whether people get healed or not uh, you can get John MacArthur and John Maxwell and Piper and put them all together in a bag and shake them up uh, and, and they, they think that talking in tongues is like phantasms of some kind, uh, they join the ranks of the skeptics when it comes to receiving the Holy Ghost, and the atheists uh, and the agnostics, they join those ranks in denying it because none of them, including the men I named, have stepped into Sunday with the baptism of the Holy Ghost for themselves by speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Until you get it, you ain't got it. But when you get it, you got it. That's why, that's why science is of Saturday. Art is of Saturday. Politics are of Saturday. My God, don't get yourself wrapped up in those things thinking that they're going to give the answer for the church or for the world. You've got to understand, the answer is not in any Saturday systems. Uh, the answer is in Sunday systems. And I wrote this down because I don't know. If I say it real slow, maybe you'll get it. Every Saturday attempt to explain Sunday is an effort to give rational form to the open-minded scandal of resurrection. Every Saturday attempt to explain Sunday is an effort to give rational form to the open-minded scandal, scandal of resurrection. In other words, the rational mind can't get its arms around the resurrection because Sunday is a whole different thing. It's on a whole different wavelength. You, can't, you didn't learn about it in university. I don't care how much you learned. If you've got so many degrees that you run a perpetual temperature, you, 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 this, doesn't, this doesn't cut it. This is not of that world. This is of another world. This is not of a lesser world. This is of a superior world. But if you don't know about it, you think it's of a lesser world, but it's because you're ignorant of the superior world. And you've never been there, (laughs) but we have. Can you say amen? Amen. And so people try to take Sunday. This is why when you brought the mayor to church, I hope the mayor's here today, but you brought the mayor to church and and you said, or your coworker, and you say, oh, God, I hope those aisle runners chill tonight because they're going to embarrass me. And just as sure as you say it, the worst of them go berserk. And the pastor's putting a hanky on his head and rolling on the platform. But I'm just going to tell you, you can't clothe Sunday in the garments of Saturday. You can't put on a jacket of buildings and slacks of a program and shirts of good exegesis and and shoes of marketing and promotion and exp- this is where guys go all wrong. They're trying to build an apostolic church, and they're trying to do it with Saturday tools. You can't build a Sunday church. You've got to understand how to use Sunday tools to build a Sunday church. Uh, Saturday tools won't build a Sunday church. Well, even if you don't know what I'm talking about, would you clap your hands and love Jesus? Man, Sunday has its own clothing. And when he went up, two men stood by them with white lit up apparel. And he was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. That light there means shining, rays, luminous. Amen. In Sunday, the only way you'll ever understand it is to come get lit. Until you're willing to come get lit, you'll never get it because the very clothing we wear is lit. Amen. And it just beams and shines and gives glory. But with your Saturday eyes, you can't see it. With your Saturday ears, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit hath to say to the churches. With your Saturday ears, you don't get it. You've got to get the ears of the Spirit that John was talking about in the book of Revelation. Don't come in here with your mind made up that what we're doing is all a bunch of stuff for weak-minded people. Let me just kindly and charitably say to you, you just don't know what you're talking about. We're into something that doesn't have to do with cognition. We're into something that has to do with affection. And we're in love, and love knows no restraint in its expression. And we're loving what we have found in Resurrection Sunday. Oh, let's love him again right now. Woo! Oh, my Lord. Amen. So 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 Saturday has this view of reality. Everything's hopeless. I heard a man on the internet the other night, he was talking, it was a debate, and he was debating that there is no such thing as something sacred. That sacred is a man-made fantasy. And the other guy was debating that there is things that are sacred. If I were to take you, I don't have time to go into all of today, and we were to just... Review quickly the Humanist Manifesto, which was put together in 1933 and has been revised several times since then. The, the, the humanist society's um, motto is good without God. That's all Saturday thinking. And I might just stop to ask, how do you know what's good? When you say good without God, where did you get your definition of good? Where in the universe is there anything? If there's no absolutes, then how can you be good without God? Because there is no absolutes, and how would you know what good is? The good can only be determined as good if there is a final arbiter that is expressing that this is good and this is bad. We know him. He lives in us. We know who he is that is good, and our God is good. How many of you know he's good? Let's stand up and clap our hands and praise him because he's good. Woo! Amen. And so some of you may be seated. Some of you, you're, this, you're in this world that Saturday says this is what you are. You're a farm worker or you're black or you're Mexican, or you're Asian, or you're white trailer trash, and there is, no, there is no hope for you, or you're a geek, or you're an outsider, or you're fat, or you're skinny. And so in a Saturday world, there's a constant push to measure and organize and size and limit and compartmentalize. And if you get outside the compartmentalization, there's going to be somebody there to slap you down and get you back in the compartmentalization now, But when you escape to the open of Sunday, do you know what the open is in nautical terms? Uh, The open means that it's beyond uh, the sight of land. Uh, When you get out into the open with God, when you get out there where the Holy Ghost is moving, uh, all of that other stuff falls behind and you're in a world uh, that those people will never be able to conceive of until they also leave Saturday and go into the Sunday world. So here's what happens. The result of people that stay in Saturday is that the compression of their destiny is brought down to the size of Saturday's preconceived frame. Your destiny that you thought, I thought I was made to be something is shriveled down to the size of Saturday's preconceived frame of what you're supposed to be what your mom and dad thought you are supposed to be, my, my, my. what the teacher thought you are supposed to be. When I was in high school, they had a counseling session with each of us individually, and they said, they said uh, Nate, what do you want to be? I said, I don't know. I think I want to be a preacher. He said, man, you don't fit, preacher. He said, "If you're going to be a preacher, all the tests that we give you to to try to find out what your aptitude is, if you're going to be a preacher, you need to, you know, have an aptitude kind of like a nurse." I found out that's true. (laughs) In fact, Moses was called the nursing father. Put that in the proverbial pipe and smoke it a while. And I thought, this guy, I, he's probably, you know, I don't know, he's Catholic or something. He's a good old boy. He likes me. He don't have a clue about what I got. If I jumped up and started speaking another other tongues, he'd call the ambulance. He has no idea what I'm into. He has no idea what makes a preacher in a Sunday world. He's a good guy, but he don't get it. Sunday is anarchic. It's anarchic to everything that is Saturday. And it introduces possibilities that are so mind-boggling that nobody could ever figure them all out. And I'm closing. Years ago, many years ago, while struggling along on the long road Of Saturday, with struggle and frustration, I trudged home one day. The path was arduous, the heat was stultifying, it was like you're barely there. The house was hot and oppressive, and I lived in a small and frustrating world. But on this particular night, it was Saturday night. And on Saturday night, it was late. It had already passed 10 o'clock. It had already passed 11 o'clock. It was almost midnight. At which time, Saturday would turn to Sunday. And I had a visitor. The visitor was strange to me, but as he stood before me, he was the most courteous stranger, and he stood just outside the Saturday doorframe of my room. And my attention was riveted on him. And I tentatively invited him to cross the threshold and come into my room but the guest politely abstained and he explained I have come to meet you however if we are to meet you must come out of your room and I said why he said because you are in a Saturday room, and I am of Sunday. And I said, what does that mean? He said, your today is but an extension of yesterday. But he said, I am from your tomorrow. And I said, but this is the only house I've ever known. And there was no answer. And I said, I have relatives here. Generations of my aunts and uncles and cousins, my culture, my tradition, my society, they're all of the same world that I am. And what would my peers think? And my teachers and the big shots in my town What would they say about you and your strange visit to my house? But he did not answer. But I already knew why I hesitated to step through the door. I did sense that it was a rare door open to me, but it had risks. To step out of my Saturday life would mean opposition. It would mean... Rejections. It would mean subjection to ridicule. It would mean that forever I would never receive my world's recognition and its rewards again. It would mean risk and challenge and real danger. It would cost me something. My room was already on the eastern limits of Saturday's limits. For others in Saturday, it may have been, and may be for you, 9 p.m., 10 p.m., 11 p.m. But for me, that night, it was midnight, and the guest waited. And I noticed that he had impeccable manners, and that he was something other than my world. And while I think he was accustomed to the scrabble ways of men, he was genial and at ease in a way that I'd never seen anybody. He didn't attempt to coerce or intimidate or manipulate. It was no specter, no ghost. He was there. I knew I was over my head. I recognized full well that my comprehension was at best partial, but I also seemed to sense that the possibilities beyond were magnificent and glorious and thrilling. And I asked him, Where are you from? And he said again, I am from your tomorrow. And I said, what is my tomorrow? He said, you are living in Saturday. Your tomorrow is Sunday. And your time has come. You must decide immediately whether you will stay or follow. And to every man and every woman's life, there is an intersection of Saturday's night and Sunday's dawn. All moments are not equal. A service like this compresses moments down until this one is pregnant with meaning that is opportunity in the present that may not be here next service the same way. And some think they are all equal, but they're like fools, and they toss their only opportunities to the wind and they let other people make their decisions about who's going to be their friends and who they're going to trust. So Yay, and I am talking to you today when you need to say, I will trust whose fruit appears to be what Jesus trusts. And I will not trust those who have no fruit. And so there's people that miss their chance. That's happening even now in this service. I've watched this happen. And so I said, I have two questions. The first is, Where do you live? And you guessed it. He said, I live in Sunday. I said, What is Sunday? He said, Sunday is the world catapulted into new life and revelation and resurrection and release from the imprisonment of the stifling world of Saturday's hopelessness into the glory of the universe of what Jesus Christ is now the master because in his glorification He rules over it all, and those who are his children rule and reign with him. And I had to say it. I said, what is your name? And he said, my name is the revelation of infinite possibility. And he said, come with me. And so my wife came 65 years ago, and I came sixty years ago, and he said, fly with me, and I was swept off of my feet and out the small door, sailing at lightning speed out through the Saturday frame, never to return, and there were times I was terrified, and I cried, where are we going, and my flying host replied to the world of the infinite, the world of Sunday It's a cosmic world in which I will show you the universe. And I said, but is there danger here? And he said, oh, yes. He said, I will show you angels and God and the devil, and I will show you others that stand by. And I said, is there further danger? And he said, oh, yes, uh, there is danger. Some get sidetracked out here outside of their Saturday frame, and they never find their way again, and they soar off into everlasting darkness because they did not follow me. And I said, where are you taking me? And he said, you, young man, have often said you wanted to come. So here we go. I'm taking you on a journey to the farthest out. It is south of the past and north of the future. It's a land you've never been in. And so I sailed at 13 or 14 years old into this new world in which I would never be the same. Now, when I leave here today, and I guess we'll probably go eat, I will see Brother and Sister Mayo's grandkids And I will pat them on the head. And we will go eat. And we will use knives and forks and spoons. And we will live in the shell of a Saturday world. But we will exist in reality in a Sunday world. In which we'll never be the same. It's not just words. We will never be the same. This is why backsliders can never go back and be the same. You that are backsliders here today, you're, the bar is never going to look the same. The illicit affair is never going to hold the same for you. There is something that happens when you taste of Sunday. No matter where you tumble into or how far you go, you never escape the elixir, the taste, the reality, the the, the certainty of what you have come into and so wherever you are, this is, there's no escape from what I preach today. If you're a human being, you're going to stay in your Saturday world of hopelessness. Or you're going to see the resurrection of Sunday morning take place in your life with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. So the answer for this church, the question for this church first is, where is this church going to go from this 25th anniversary? This is really good, but is this it? Is there some way in the Sunday world that we can find the right button to push that blows doors open, that we double, triple, and quadruple in a matter of months on ways we never saw? Does that exist out there? Oh, I believe it does. But in this world of revelation, we have to hear the voice of God. I got a text this morning, a girl, let's stand. A young lady that came into our church that was deep into sin. Got saved. College graduate. Intelligent. All the above. Finally perked the process through what she's into. Dad's a Physician finally she worked herself through it. So Saturday yesterday she goes on outreach. knocks on a door. A man with two kids were in service this morning because she said, "Let me tell you about what I've got." She was really telling them about a Sunday world, a man living in a Saturday apartment, bringing them out and exposing them to a Sunday world. This is why this is why government programs isn't the answer. That's all of Saturday it has a place, but it, it's no, all that's Band-Aids. The only solution is the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life, which is the Holy Ghost, the spirit of the resurrected Christ in us. That's the only solution. So what I'm hoping in the next few months is that Cornerstone gets this. Cornerstone keeps probing, pushing against each wall and each door until it finds a place. Mm, It's a little spongy right here. I think we can break out right there. And Cornerstone pushes that open a crack, and it goes through. And here's what happens. When you push open a crack in the sky, a new discovery an invention, a new revelation, then it's not long until that crack has expanded and there's scores of other leaders following Cornerstone through that opening into victory, which they never would have had if Cornerstone wouldn't have broke it open. There's a responsibility on this congregation that is tasted of Sunday, that's ate the elixir, that's tasted the honey, the sweetness that Saturday knows nothing about, that here, and I know all of the, And you've said, that doesn't make any difference. Uh, We're just going to love everybody, but we're not going to get off track. We're going to stay focused on reaching our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, let's everybody praise him. Oh, praise God. So there's the challenge. Can I live in Sunday world? Can I as a man find doors to open that other men see them and together we say, or do I just live the same old way as I've always lived? Do I have the expectations that are no more than they were 10 years ago? Or does something get a hold of me that said, somebody said, Brother was you're 73. You don't need to be done. So age is nothing in the world of the spirit. Uh, things can happen in three years in the spirit that would take 30. It's like cutting down. It's like cutting something, cutting a tree with an ax compared to cutting through a piece of steel this big around with air. Right. Acetylene. Right. It's the difference. You, you don't get trapped in those little comparisons in your life and say, what I am today is all I can ever be. No, you, 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 you finally break out of that and you say, I don't want to just forever. You get out of those fears that have put you in that cage and that are keeping you there. And you say, I'm going to do something for God. Only one life. Only what's done for Christ will last. So why don't we come around the front here in closing today. If you'll come quickly, it won't take very long. If you're a guest, we're not tricking you. We're not going to get you up here and trick you some way. We want you to come with us. This is a family church. All of us are here together. Come up close. That's good. So others can get up here too. That's right. Move right on in. If you're a guest, move right on in. Amen. So here we are at the end of 25 years. got to ask yourself outside of this church outside of this church what do you have that is not going to perish in a Saturday world I'm going to tell you there may be other reasons I haven't analyzed it all but that's a big reason why I'm in this church because I mean I understand hippies I'm from the hippie generation. I understand if you don't have no world except this world, just get a cardboard box and and put a flower in your hair and get a guitar and sing your life away. And certainly don't go to war to fight over stuff that don't matter. I mean, if that's all there is, it's a Saturday world. But you and I know better. When we come to God and got the Holy Ghost in an apostolic Pentecostal church and we got baptized in Jesus' name, we know that we're in something, that Sunday's resurrection and it's a forever thing, and that God has laid his hand upon us. And I pray today, no coercion, just praying today that the spirit of revelation can come in this room upon each of us until we say, Jesus, don't let me make any mistakes, but take my hand Lead me through the threshold of my Saturday world thinking and lead me out into the spirit of faith that believes you for everything and anything. If you're willing to make that commitment, I want you to lift your hands to him and I want you to say, Jesus, I don't know what all that means, but I mean it. I don't know what all that means, but I mean it. From the bottom of my heart, Jesus, I mean it. Come on.
0: Let's really pray it.
1: From the bottom of my heart, Jesus, I mean it.